You're listening to the second episode of The Thrive Hive. In this episode, we will be chatting to the amazing, the beautiful, and the very successful Vanille Makwakwa. She hails from the rural parts of Mpumalanga, South Africa, and she has gone on to achieve mighty and wondrous things all around the world. We're so excited to be chatting with her, and this is the first part of our interview with her. Enjoy. Hi guys, welcome to Thrive Hive, and today we have a very special guest. We have a strong, independent, courageous, and daring female leader. She's an entrepreneur and a podcast host, which she will be telling us more about. Without further ado, let's say hi to Vangile Makwakwa. I hope I said that right. <laughs> no, it's fine, you did. It's a silent G though, so it's Vangile. Uh, but if your uh, Kosa, most Kosa people pronounce it as Vangile. So yeah, thank you for having me, Nicole and Tashen. I really, really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. We just, we just want to start off by, by you know, figuring out who Vangile is. Like, just tell us, tell us the story behind Vangile. What makes Vangile, Vangile? I am a money coach. I help people heal their ancestral trauma around money so they can fall in love with their bank accounts, start creating um, passive income and just live their best lives. So uh, how I do that is through my company, Wealthy Money. I'm the founder of Wealthy Money and I do a lot of healing work out there. And uh, my co-host, Dr. Miranda Mulato and I have a um, podcast called Property Magicians Podcast, where we interview people on their real estate journeys. And we've been able to learn so much around real estate investing. And that's been awesome. And I also work virtually. So I've been working virtually long before COVID. <laughs> so COVID didn't really change my life. I work, um, everything I've done has been virtual and my company is also virtual. My entire team is virtual. We have weekly team meetings from Thailand, South Africa, Sri Lanka, which is where I'm at. And that's, that's what I do. Like I travel all the time. Now that COVID is here, I live in Jayalai, Sri Lanka, but I'm soon, I just actually come from a beach town called Mount Lavinia and I'm moving to Nagambo for October, which is also on the ocean because Sri Lanka is an island. So like I'm constantly chasing the best towns for sunsets over the ocean or over the mountains. So most of my Instagram and my Facebook is filled with just me watching sunsets over the ocean and doing lives of that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And can you tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, your background, who you, where you come from and a little bit more about that? Yes. So um, I was born in Eluwatini in uh, South Africa. It's in Pumalanga. It's a small little town just uh, near Batlas. So 
village girl, lived there for most of my life, went to school in Barberton, primary school, and then moved to Joburg for grade seven, and then um, started my schooling there, and then the rest of my life in Joburg, and then I went to UCT to study finance, uh, when everybody was getting out of varsity and getting jobs and everything, I was obsessing about traveling. So <laughs> Disney, uh, then I found a, an agent for, air, for cruise lines and Disney happened to be hiring for cruise lines. They hired me as a waitress with my finance degree. My parents thought that was the end because they were, I'd always been talking, talking of traveling and they were hoping that once I got a degree you know like I'd get realistic I'd see yeah. how the world worked yay I get to live on a cruise line for eight for like six months of my life that is amazing it ended up being eight months because I swapped contracts with another team member and I wanted and because I knew this was no longer for me like after six months I had an idea I was like I this this won't work for me. You work like 16 hour days. That's not even a joke. And then you get 10 hours off every 10 days. So you never get a day off. So the cruise ship life is intense. It is literally not what it is cracked up to be, you know? So Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, no, my body will not handle this life. You do work until like 10, 30, 11 p.m. And then you start again at 6.30 in the morning. I was like, no freaking way is this for me. Not for me. So, yeah, because I'm more like a wake up at 10 a.m., 11 a.m. kind of person. Like my team knows. <laughs> like I'll say certain things like yesterday one of my, my assistant was asking me if I wanted to do something on YouTube. I was like, no, you're going to have to do that. What you've just asked me to do sounds like labor. I can't. I literally <laughs> cannot. You know? I was like, no. So Always be efficient. Right? So after that, I was like, that was the first time when I realized, oh my God, this may be what adulting is about, you know? So I thought to myself, how do I not do this type of work? Like, I still want to travel, but I still want to do work. And then at the time, I didn't know any other options, right? So I got this brilliant idea to do an MBA. So I was already working all these crazy hours. And then I'm just like, I think I'm just going to write a GMAT, the GMAT in the midst of this, I'm going to start studying for the GMAT, register myself for the GMAT. And then in the midst of my 10 hours off, I'm going to quickly use that time to rush off and write this GMAT, you know, and I did. And through some, (laughs) yeah, like then now I'm more about rest. I was crazy. So I went, I wrote the GMAT, and through some unknown miracle, I got really good marks or scores or whatever it's called. Um, this was years ago, right? So I got a great score. 
And then in 2007, I was offered. So this was in 2005, wrote the GMAT in 2006. They contacted me in 2000. So Simmons School of Management got hold of my scores. Um, they'd been forwarded my scores and they offered me uh, two, a one-third scholarship. And unfortunately for them, when they called, I had left the US at this point. I'd moved to London, made some money in London, and was on a beach in Trinidad. No, not in Trinidad, in Tobago. So when, so when they called me, I was like, no, I don't think I want to go do my MBA anymore. Like, I'm in the Caribbean. I'm not doing this mess. <laughs> so they kept Bless their souls. They kept emailing. They caught, they got my phone number. Then the next time they called, I was like, okay, I'm back in London. It's snowing. I don't like it here anymore. I'll, I'll come do an MBA in the US. Like, I'm done. <laughs> so that's how I ended up doing my MBA. So then I got the MBA and that was really the start of everything. In my head, I thought, I'm going to do an MBA, become an investment banker, make loads and loads of money, and then I'm going to retire round about now, you know, actually, um, the aim was to retire three years from now. So when I hit 40, which will be in 2023. And so I was like, I will retire when I get to 40, but round about now I'll be taking, the aim was to slow down and chill out so that I prepare for 40 and retirement. And it just did not happen like that. Not even in my wildest dreams did that happen. <laughs> you've had, yeah. you've seen to it like have like an amazing early twenties, if I can say, like, you know, your young twenties where you traveled and you took risks. Can you like give out any advice to, to people in their 20s? Mm, I don't know if that's the advice that like your parents want me to give you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. you. <laughs> here's the advice that, here's what I did, right? Everyone was getting the jobs and getting work experience. I sat down and I asked myself, what do I really want? I don't want work experience. Clearly, if I wanted work experience, I wouldn't have been a waitress. I wouldn't have been waitressing across the world, you know, <laughs> and then I just partying it up in the Caribbean, doing random things. But I just decided I wanted to live, you know, and then I defined what that looked like for me. You know, I was very clear that the things that were important to me were not the house. It was not big houses. It wasn't driving fancy cars. It wasn't um, a marriage at the time. You know, it wasn't any of those things. Like for me, when I sat down and asked myself what's important, I kept coming back to this, I want to feel alive. And I couldn't quite define what that looked like. But when I was like, okay, what does that mean to me? And, and I guess for most people, it's like, I want to live a life of purpose. No, that came way later for me, right? Like, I was like, I don't care about that. I want to see different people. I want to connect with different humans who have different value systems to me, 
who have different lives to me, who think differently to me, who see the world differently to me. Um, sometimes we don't even um, speak the same language as me. So for me, those were the important values and I wrote them down. And when I kept coming back to it, I said, what do I see myself doing? Like, when I sit down, what do I truly see myself doing? And this is the thing that used to drive my parents mad. You know, like how all the parents would ask everyone as you're nearing graduation. And even on graduation day, my mom and I had a big fight because she's like, I thought you'd be over this. Like, why are you not over this? Because like, she'd be like, so what are you, she was like, what do you plan on doing? It's a great thing. At the time I had a mining and energy analyst uh, job. I'd been hired in third year. They'd never hired anyone that was not a graduate before, but they hired me in third year because they felt like I had a good grasp and understanding of economics and finance. So they hired me. So I already had a job out of varsity. I was not looking for an office job. I had a job and it was part-time. I got to, because when I was doing my honors and when I was doing third year, they let me work two hours. They let me work four hours a day and then go to lectures. So it was excellent, right? So that for me was great. But then like, talk to my mom and I was just like, oh, so this is great. You're going to stay in the job. I was like, actually, I just gave notice now that I'm graduating. I told them that in six months I'm leaving. She's like, where are you going to? I was like, I don't know. I, at the time I hadn't yet come up with the cruise ship idea, but I was like, I have six months to figure it out. But every time I look at my life, I see myself on a beach, on a hammock. I see myself just chasing airplanes. I see myself looking at airline tickets. I see myself talking to different people in different countries, getting lost. That's all that I see. And I feel like I have to pursue that. So I would say to anyone, whatever it is that is coming up for you, that is deep in your heart that you see for yourself, that's the thing. That's the thing that you have to go pursue. Not everyone wants to travel. So maybe what you see is yourself in a village teaching kids yoga, or you see yourself <laughs> like, I don't know, like working with animals in a zoo and it just doesn't line up with your degree. I feel like that's the thing, go and do it. I, I can truly say this is like, that was the best thing that I did. Like, I just got that career card and I went, you know, best thing ever. That's amazing. <laughs> I love, I love hearing your experience because I feel like it's so relatable. Um, mm -hmm. you, sometimes, especially as a young person, you, you are so impressionable from, you know, mm -hmm. especially the adults in your life and you, yeah. um, of course, like your parents and, and, and your, and your, you know, the people around you, they want the best for you. And yeah. so you're torn between now, do I not know yet yeah. as much as they know, like in terms of, you know, their experience yeah. or, you know, am I, am I being silly or should I just go with what I'm feeling or, and you know, a big thing is also financial um, freedom. Everybody wants to have financial freedom, but I feel like you, your story is such a testament to if you go with what you want, the money will follow you. It will come some way or another. 
you know, yeah. you'll get there, but you need to be in your purpose and in your passion yeah. in order for that to play out. And I just, I feel like your story is just so inspirational. I love it. And relatable. <laughs> yes, it's so relatable. I mean, my yeah. dream is to be chasing sunsets, sleeping, falling, get asleep on hammocks. That is who I'm supposed to be right there. <laughs> Yeah, my dream life is my dream life. How honestly, this is podcast almost didn't happen, you guys, because I was asleep on the hammock. <laughs> True story. <laughs> it's like I can't explain like the value you actually get out of traveling and meeting new people, Absolutely. and like that is yeah. literally like one of my ultimate goals in life. And hopefully, by you know following through this podcast and speaking to people such as yourself, we'll learn how to make that dream happen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Vanilla, can you tell us a little bit more about your business, um, your wealthy money business? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So, let me start with how wealthy money was born, right? So, I told you guys about like going to do the MBA, right? So, I went, I did the MBA, graduated, actually did extremely well. My parents, flew to Boston. Uh, they, were, they came to the US. They watched me graduate. They were like, oh my God, you finally have your life together. And I was like, yeah, I'm now going to do the office life. I've got this travel <laughs> bag out of my system. <laughs> life, right? <laughs> so, super, <you> <laughs> so then like literally, and this is the thing, I think this often happens when you go against our souls, right? So I get out of there. I know deep down, this is not my calling. I don't see myself going into an office. And I'm literally, I'm not one of those people, by the way, that can stick out something even for a month. You know, if my soul decides I am done with this, be it relationships, be it like a job, anything. I'm the kind of person that's like, I'm done, I'm done. You know, it's like, I don't have staying power. I don't have the patience. But this time I was like, I am in debt because remember I had a one third scholarship. Then my dad gave me another third scholarship. Then I took on a $30,000. Well, then my dad gave me a 200,000 rand loan. Um, then, uh, then the school had gave me another, uh, like also about 300,000. And then I needed more money to live and to pay off part of my student loans, that's it, uh, to pay off the remaining student fees. And then I, so then I took out a loan from Sally Mae. My school vouched for me. I got a Sally Mae loan. I did everything that the Americans did. So now I had the credit cards. And remember when I was traveling, I had a credit card from South Africa. That's how I was able to buy uh, my plane ticket from Disney. So then when I graduated from my MBA, I decided to take another student loan, an extra $5,000 to do a certificate in entrepreneurship, which by the way, not an issue, but mm, there's no such thing. Like, I feel like entrepreneurship is one of those things that is best learned. Uh, so then uh, uh, by actually doing it, uh, but anyway, I did my certification in entrepreneurship, 
And um, I was still looking for a job. The job didn't come, so I launched my first company, Speak to Be Free, uh, helping uh, poets and writers make a living and make money from their craft. Didn't go anywhere, so I was living off of credit cards. I would take out a credit card to pay a credit card, took out more credit cards to be able to run the company. It was mental, right? So before long, I had $50,000 in debt, including with everything. So my friends were borrowing me money. I was borrowing money from everywhere. I had this mindset, which is quite common, I guess, in the US, which is a very entrepreneurial company. You take all these entrepreneurial countries, sorry. So like you take all these great risks, but you know, you're going to be one of those, you start your company in the garage and then it's going to blossom and grow. Mm -hmm. So somehow I'd gone to a school that was all about entrepreneurship and business. And that's what I had gotten into my head and nothing like in the four years that I ran this company, well, really the five years I ran speak to be free, I only ever made $500 in revenue. And I had to start side hustles, to do everything, spent way more than that, spent close to like 60 to $80,000 on this company, never made a profit. But in my head, I was always like, oh no, it's going to make a profit until I started getting panic attacks, couldn't get out of bed. I was so depressed. I was lying to everyone about my finances, pretending that I had it all together because I never wanted to people to be like, we told you so, like, you know? And I just, now is this, person with this incredible degree who had seen so many different countries had had all these epic experiences and my finances were falling apart then my health started to follow because my emotional well-being was like really compromised my wellness was insanely compromised you know so i stopped digesting food all sorts of things it was like everything was falling apart at this point, you know? So <laughs> most people will be like, quit, <laughs> do like, let everything go, do what's expected of you. The entrepreneurship route isn't working, go back home, just cut your losses. I was like, okay, I am having panic attacks. I am depressed. I need to figure out what is going on here. I know it's linked to money. And that started my journey of understanding what was going on at a psychological and emotional level with me. I knew what I knew about money, you know, from having studied finance, from having done an MBA. I was like, I know the practical stuff around money. It's not working for me. So if it, you know, I literally remember sitting down on the pavement in the middle of a panic attack and saying, I need to unlearn everything I've been taught about money. Everything I've been taught needs to go. Even the new age way of looking at things, affirmations, visualization, let it go. It doesn't work for me. So I need to start with what I know. What do I know right now? I'm having a panic attack. And I know somehow it's linked to money, but I can't find information that directly links what I'm going through to money. Everybody's talking about budgeting. I need to go on a journey to understand the link between emotions and financial behavior. How do I work with those? So then I started creating my own exercises to try and figure out what was going on. I went to Vipassana for 10 days, 
that helped me so much with my depression. I never, ever, I haven't thought like, not that this will happen to everyone, right? But I was severely depressed and I was suicidal as all this was going on. And I was like, I somehow I'm going to work myself out of this. I didn't know how, but I was like, I'm trying to speak to many different people and seems like I'm not getting anywhere, you know, like therapy, all those people are telling me all this other stuff. I need people to talk to me about money. So I went to Vipassana, I did a 10 day uh, meditation retreat and it changed my life. One of the things that I noticed was that I never ever thought of suicide after that, right? And it's been like a decade. You know, I have, I, I started behaving normally as people do. Like when I'm sad, I'm sad. When I'm happy, I'm happy. It's no longer the intense extremes. And that happened in Vipassana. And the thing that happened for me in Vipassana was this deep understanding of my body where like they kept saying, feel the sensations in your body, observe your breath, anapana meditation, everything. And I was like, this is the answer. The answer wow. isn't in um, knowing the numbers. You know, I walked out of there and I want to say this to people. I walked out of there. My finances were still a craziness. They were still the same, but my emotions were different. Like I could look at my bank account, look at my finances, look at things and not freak out. Then I got a life coach. And at the time I had no clue what the heck a life coach was, but a friend of mine who's a therapist in the US was like, you need to get, um, you need, I found this woman, she's South African and she's an incredible life coach. I just like what she's about. You need, I was like, have you coached with her? What is this? She's like, I don't know, but I feel like it's for you. Coach with her. So I was like, this is so random. Okay. So then I hired her straight out of the Vipassana. I hired her and the beginning of the changes of everything. Uh, she taught me about Byron Katie. Then I started doing, um, then I started doing my own research on emotions. At the time I hadn't even gotten to trauma. I was just working with emotions. I found out about emotional freedom technique. I went on all these courses to get certified um, and to become a level two EFT tapping coach. I started working with my thinking processes using the work of Byron Katie. I literally, my coach, who's Joan Cereza, she was my coach at the time, and she had me work with um, my thoughts every single day. She was like, don't worry about what's going on in your finances. Just write down every single thought and just work with it for maybe eight hours a day for just this week. And then things just started to shift so radically. My outlook shifted so radically. And then she was like, maybe do this for months. And then I was like, wow. Next thing I knew, I got this incredibly high paying client in Spain where I started tutoring college students and I was charging like $150 an hour to tutor. Awesome. And people like, I was literally making like $2,000 a week from like, just working a few, like few hours a day, like a few hours a day. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. So I started paying off my debts. I started developing my own exercises. Anyway, fast forward, then I wrote Heart, Mind and Money and sharing the work with people. And that's how Wealthy Money was born. Like literally, <laughs> I got offered a publishing deal. I didn't 
I didn't know if I even wanted to publish the book. I thought it would end up being an ebook forever, you know. And then, like, as soon as I put the last full stop on, I got I got offered a publishing deal by Jakarta uh -huh. Media. I was like, awesome! <laughs> it's kind of like a it's one of those mystical stories, really. It, it was just really, really wild. Uh -huh. Like, um, I never looked for an agent, an editor. I never submitted a manuscript. Nothing. It just happened, and that gave birth to wealthy money and over time what I started to understand was that so much of my work was on the body and emotions what I was calling emotional intelligence was going a lot deeper and so this is how I started looking at how the nervous system so I started asking questions after Heart, Mind and Money was published my key research started going from how do you work with your emotions to why do we feel the things we feel. Why do wow. I feel fear when I look at my bank account? And why will someone else feel guilt when they manage money? And then that became the basis of my work now. It's like, why do humans feel the emotions they feel? Why do we think the thoughts we think, especially around money? And then how do we heal that? How, how are these thoughts stored and processed in the nervous system, which brought me to the work around trauma and then even took me to the work that I do around ancestral trauma on how trauma is passed down from generation to generation and how that trauma then plays out with us and how we then and how it affects our nervous systems, which affects the way we feel and think around money that it's not just about changing our emotions and changing our thinking processes around money. Those are still the symptoms that we need to deal with. But if we can change the core of what is causing us to think and feel the way we feel around money, we can literally start to radically shift what we can do financially. And I've seen that with students. I've seen that with clients. It's just, yeah, so that's what I do. It's like healing trauma around money and helping people change their spending habits in five days. Actually, changing spending habits isn't so difficult, right? They are very, very, they are very cool exercises that I have around that, that take you into the body to change that. The issue isn't spending habits so much. We focus so much on spending habits, but really it's that we haven't We've taught generations of humans to focus on saving, and then we've promised them that saving will lead to yes. financial freedom. Yes. Whereas really yes. increasing income and creating passive yes. income is what leads to financial freedom. So the issue is that almost every bank, every institution wants us to believe that the problem is that we are overspending, we're reckless with money. But I'm always like, really, is that the problem? Or is the problem that we haven't taught people how to expand financially, that the core of the work that I do is around how do you create extra streams of income? And a lot of that isn't in the traditional practical knowledge. A lot of that is in a rewiring our entire nervous system around allowing more money in around making more money and then it taps into things like we are not good enough it taps into racial trauma it taps it taps into 
uh, just like patriarchy and how we are conditioned in certain ways and all these things that are traumatic and stop us from actually creating income and creating extra streams of income. It's really got very little to do with the practical aspects because if you sit down and you ask anyone, what, is it, what will it take for you to grow your income? Everyone can say, well, I could like offer more services, increase my pricing. If I'm a service provider, I can increase my pricing and get more clients, boom. If I'm selling products, I just need to sell more products or sell more or increase my pricing. So then the real question becomes, why is it that we know that, but we don't do that? And a lot of that has to do with trauma, you know? So it's not, but if you listen to a lot of the financial institutions, you'd swear that the problem is that we are all these reckless spenders. No, it's because we expect people to get paid once a month and to live 30 days on something that they get every just once a month uh whoever taught us that why can't we get paid like three times a week or every day or at least four times a month this belief has to go this concept has to go like i mean honestly you've got needs 30 days in a month however your needs have to be fulfilled with a salary that comes once a month. And then we spend our lives beating ourselves up and requiring intense self-discipline and uh, shrinking our wants and our desires to fit the salary that we get once a month. Maybe the problem isn't that we have wants and desires. Wants and desires are human. This is a natural experience of living. Maybe the problem is in how we're being made to feel about these wants and desires and how we're being taught that they shouldn't be fulfilled and they should be negated and what that actually does to our nervous systems to... Thank you for listening and be sure to check out the next episode of the Thrive Hive for the full interview. Have a great week and remember, stay thriving with the Thrive Hive.